Thanks for reading for us, uh, David. And um, it'd be great if you could keep Isaiah 26 open as uh, we look at it together. And why don't we pray and ask uh, God for his help as we look at his word uh, now. Our Father, we thank you for the real privilege it is uh, to hear you, the living God, address us uh, this evening. And we pray that as we look at this wonderfully rich passage, uh, you would strengthen our hearts and deepen our faith in you and in your Son, uh, the Lord Jesus. Uh, give us a clearer grasp of your character and your ways in the world. And we pray that uh, in response we would uh, live lives that give you glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, in many ways the theme of this passage uh, and the theme of Isaiah, one of the themes of Isaiah as a whole is waiting. Uh, you can see it in uh, chapter 26, uh, verse 8. Uh, yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. We wait for you. And uh, back in chapter 25, verse 9, Isaiah has said, um, uh, in that day, surely this is our God. Uh, we trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation the idea of trusting and waiting uh, for the lord and it's uh, throughout isaiah particularly uh, the second half of isaiah uh, chapter 33 verse 2 O lord be gracious to us we wait for you uh, chapter 40 verse 31 those who wait for the lord shall renew their strength 49 verse 23 those who wait for the lord shall not be put to shame uh, so the idea of waiting is uh, woven throughout uh, the book, uh, but if you're anything like me, uh, waiting is not something that you really enjoy. Uh, even if you're waiting for something uh, good, you're, you're looking forward to uh, you know, being reunited with some friends or, or, or something really great, you know, the, the, the waiting itself, even though the, the thing that's coming is good, the waiting itself is painful. And yet, even more so when what we're waiting for is something we don't want to happen. Uh, whether it's something, again, uh, very uh, trivial, you know, waiting um, for, uh, you know, isolation to end or waiting for uh, traffic lights or waiting for test results, whatever it is, waiting itself is a painful thing. But Isaiah shows us that waiting is something that God's people are called to do. And it's not just an Old Testament uh, thing. In the New Testament, um, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, he describes a Christian as someone who is waiting for God's Son from heaven. That's his very simple description of a Christian. A Christian is someone who waits for God's Son. He says the same thing in Philippians 3. Our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly wait a Savior from there. Uh, to be a Christian is to be someone who waits. Uh, but waiting is not pleasant. Isaiah is waiting. He's longing for the transformation of Jerusalem. Uh, that's the sort of theme that runs through the book of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah prophesying in Jerusalem as he looks around. He longs for his city to be transformed into the city that it used to be the city that gave God glory. And you can see uh, chapter 26, verse 1, uh, we have a strong city. 
Uh, God makes salvation its walls and ramparts. Uh, that's what he's longing for, for his city to be a city that is strong, that is marked by God's salvation. It's a secure city. It's a welcoming city. Uh, open the gates that the righteous may come in. It's, it's uh, welcoming those who are righteous. And yet, that is not what Jerusalem is like. And uh, right back in chapter 1, Isaiah has reflected on how uh, Jerusalem, the once faithful city, is now marked by sin and faithlessness. And uh, even verse 4, there's a hint, uh, or sorry, verse 5, he humbles those who dwell on high, he lays the lofty city low. That's what Jerusalem is now, lofty, not in the sense of kind of, uh, you know, good and, and exalted, but lofty in the sense of uh, arrogant, arrogant. And so it needs to be, verse 5, humbled. And so here is Isaiah longing and waiting for the transformation of Jerusalem. And so what he does in this chapter is gives us a picture of what it looks like to be a faithful follower of the Lord and to wait. Isaiah is waiting for the transformation of Jerusalem. We're waiting for the return of the Lord Jesus. We're waiting for the transformation of the, uh, of the whole creation. And this chapter shows us what it means uh, to wait, uh, how we can wait, what, what does it actually uh, look like. And Isaiah shows us that there are four features of uh, waiting uh, as a believer. Uh, the first is that we trust. Verses 3 to 6, we trust. Uh, verse 3, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Uh, this is uh, uh, one of the most uh, w wonderful descriptions of the effects of faith. Those who trust in the Lord, those whose minds are steadfast in dependence on him, uh, will know perfect peace. Uh, in the, the chaos of the world, they will know perfect peace. Again, in, in Isaiah's time at Jerusalem, he's surrounded by people who are denying the Lord, who are faithless, and yet the Lord is keeping his mind in perfect peace. Uh, trust in the Lord forever, verse 4. Why? For the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. Uh, rather than trusting on, um, you know, changing uh, human beings, uh, we trust in the eternal Lord, uh, the rock. Uh, the rock is, that's a picture of dependability. Uh, think of Jesus promising that he will build his church on the rock. Uh, think of Jesus uh, calling us not to build our lives on the shifting sands of uh, human teachings, but on the rock of his word. Uh, our world is chaotic, it's changing, it's disappointing. Uh, God is unchangeable. He is dependable. He is an eternal rock. And we know that, uh, verse 5, because uh, he acts in judgment to bring the arrogant low. He um, humbles those who dwell on high. He lays the lofty city low. Uh, the Lord has destroyed human arrogance. And so there's no point in trusting in human beings. And again, that's a theme that runs through Isaiah. 
Part of the problem that Jerusalem had was that its leadership continually tried to trust in other nations rather than in the Lord. And they would make alliances with uh, other uh, countries like Assyria or Egypt, and those countries would disappoint them. And what Isaiah is saying here is that there's, there's no point in doing that because God humbles the nations. God brings uh, human beings to nothing. Back in chapter 2, Isaiah says, uh, put no more trust in mere human words uh, because God brings them to nothing. And uh, that is something that uh, Paul develops in, in 1 Corinthians. In many ways, the Corinthian church is like uh, Jerusalem of Isaiah's day. Uh, they have a form of godliness. Uh, they want to be uh, Christians, but they also want to have a foot in the world. Uh, they want to trust in the, the patterns and, and qualities and characteristics of this world. And Paul says to them, why are you doing that? Because God in the cross has brought human wisdom to nothing. And that is what God does. He brings human wisdom to nothing. So why trust in human wisdom? No, we trust in the Lord forever because the Lord himself is the rock eternal. So what does it mean to wait for the Lord? Well, first of all, it means to trust. And then secondly, it means to desire God's glory in verses 7 to 15, to desire God's glory. And you can see that in verse uh, second half of verse 8. Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. Uh, verse 9, my soul yearns for you uh, in uh, the night. Uh, this uh, uh, idea is the fact that as we, we trust in the Lord, but that trust in the Lord leads to us being transformed. And so we no longer live simply for ourselves. Uh, we live for God's glory. Uh, the believer, as they wait on the Lord, is transformed and they desire uh, God's glory. And so, uh, verse 8, the beginning of verse 8, yes, Lord, uh, walking in the way of your laws, uh, walking in the way that pleases the Lord, we desire uh, your name and your renown. And so, verse 9, my soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. When your judgments come upon the earth, the people of the world learn righteousness. That's the pattern working. Uh, as God's people who trust in him, they see God acting in the world, uh, they learn righteousness. Uh, they respond accordingly. But verse 10 shows us the pattern failing, if you like. Uh, people who might have a form of godliness, but are not true believers. Verse 10, when grace is shown to the wicked, what happens? They don't learn righteousness. Even in a land of uprightness, they go on doing evil and they do not regard the majesty of the Lord. Lord, your hand is lifted high, but they do not see it. Uh, what we're seeing here is that uh, for uh, God to reveal himself in grace or in judgment it is not enough. Uh, people need to have the work of God in their hearts by the Spirit. Uh, to be able to uh, recognize God and to long for his glory. So what we're seeing here is that uh, believing true faith in God and his word leads to a transformed life. 
a life that desires God's glory. So I think what Isaiah does here is he shows us a, a profound understanding of human sinfulness. Uh, that it's not simply enough for us to uh, see uh, God's activity in the world, whether it's in judgment or in grace. Uh, we need God uh, to transform us. And the true believer is transformed at the level of their heart, at the level of their heart uh, desire. And so uh, for the one who does uh, trust and is longing for God's uh, glory, there is this uh, uh, reflection in verse 12 that uh, it is the Lord who has established peace for us. All that we have accomplished, you have done for us. Can you see the profound understanding that it's not, it's not me that's accomplished it, it is God working for his glory. And so, Lord, our God, even though other lords have ruled over us, verse 13, your name alone do we honor. Your name alone do we honor. And so the, the, the two outcomes, uh, for those who might have this kind of form of godliness, but they don't, they're not transformed, and they're not responding rightly to God's grace. Uh, well, the end is there in verse 14. They're now dead. They live no more. Their spirits do not rise. You punished them and brought them to ruin. You wiped out all memory of them. But for those who do trust in the Lord, uh, there is the wonderful experience of verse 15. You've enlarged the nation, Lord. You've enlarged the nation. You've gained glory for yourself. You've extended all the borders of the land. So waiting in the Lord means trusting in the Lord, which is meant to lead to a transformed heart that desires God. Okay? So, uh, you know, how do you know that you are, are trusting God? Well, it will lead to a transformed life at the level of your heart desire. Uh, you long for God's glory. You respond to his grace. You respond to his righteousness. You want to walk in his ways. Uh, those who uh, might say that they trust in the Lord... Uh, but they don't learn righteousness, verse 10. They don't respond uh, to God's work in the world. So waiting for the Lord means trusting the Lord. It means longing for God's glory. And verses 16 to 19, it means hoping in the Lord. Hoping in the Lord. Now, verse 16, uh, Lord, they came to you in their distress. Uh, when you disciplined them, they could barely whisper a prayer. And that really is a summary of uh, Israel's experience throughout the Old Testament. Uh, think of the book of Judges. Uh, think of how uh, in, in Judges that the, the people were afflicted by the nations and they would cry out to God uh, to deliver them. And in a sense, that is, that's good. They would, they would cry to the Lord. But verse 17 and 18 shows that that uh, cry of prayer was ultimately self-serving because it didn't lead to this transformation that we've been talking about. Verse 17, as a pregnant woman about to give birth writhes and cries out in her pain, so were we in your presence, Lord. We were with child, we writhed in labor, but we gave birth to the wind. Uh, there's no transformation. It's, it's wind, again, in the Bible, the, kind of, the idea of wind, think of Ecclesiastes, it's, it's meaningless, it's empty. Uh, we have not brought, verse uh, 18, we have not brought salvation to the earth. And the people of the world have not come to life. Uh, so that is the, the picture of Israel again. 
trying to do things in, in their own strength and failing uh, because they uh, are not uh, depending on the Lord. They're depending on their own strength. But the hope for the believer is the hope that God will work. Uh, so uh, the, the people uh, fail to bring birth uh, bring, bring to birth any uh, righteousness, any good. But verse 19, your dead will live, Lord. Their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. Uh, so the people of Israel, uh, striving in their own strength, were unable uh, to give birth to any uh, righteousness, to bring blessing to the world. But God can do it. God can even cause the earth uh, to give birth to the dead. So here's Isaiah pointing to the wonderful hope of resurrection. Uh, that it is God who will accomplish what his people are unable uh, to do. That's what we saw um, in, in the last point, verse 12. You, all that we have accomplished, you have done for us. Uh, that is our hope. That is our hope that it is God's resurrection power that brings transformation. Um, and uh, for Isaiah, he's looking forward to a future resurrection. For us, we look back to the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, this resurrection has begun already. It's begun in Jesus. And so transformation of the world is possible. Not because of what we do, but because of what God has done in Christ. His transforming resurrection has begun. And so even in a world that seems so far from God, that's turned its back on God, uh, we, are those, uh, we are not those without hope. Uh, we know the hope of resurrection because it's begun already. It's begun already. Isaiah knew it as a promise from God, we know it as a future promise of God guaranteed by Jesus' resurrection already. So the person who's waiting for the Lord is trusting, is longing for God's glory, is hoping in his resurrection power. And finally, uh, verses 20 and 21 is uh, hiding themselves in the Lord. Verse 20, go my people, enter your rooms, shut the doors behind you, hide yourselves for a little while until his wrath has passed by. The, the imagery is very similar to the Passover in Exodus, uh, where the people of Israel uh, would uh, go inside. They put the, uh, the blood of the lamb on the doors, and as the angel of the Lord passed through Egypt, uh, killing the firstborn, uh, he left uh, the people of Egypt uh, alone. He passed over them in judgments. And uh, that is what God is calling his people who are waiting for him uh, to do. And it's interesting, he doesn't say, well, you're, you're righteous, you're trusting in me, that's okay, you don't need to worry about my wrath. No, he still says, you hide yourself because, verse 21, the Lord is coming out of his dwelling to punish the people of the earth for their sins. And the understanding is, even those who trust in God, even those who are transformed, are still sinful, are still deserving of God's wrath. And their only hope is to take refuge, to hide themselves. Now, obviously, for us as believers in the Lord Jesus, uh, we hide ourselves in him. We take refuge in him. 
Uh, that's what it means for us to hide from God's wrath. It's really interesting, the, uh, the verse that I read uh, earlier from 1 Thessalonians. Uh, 1 Thessalonians um, uh, 1 verse 10 Uh, This is his description of uh, the Christian. Uh, The Christian is someone who has turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Uh, That's the picture of the believer. It's someone who's waiting for Jesus, the one who rescues us from the coming wrath. And that is exactly what um, Isaiah describes uh, the believer doing here. Uh, Not uh, thinking, well, I'm okay, Uh, you know, I'm a believer, I don't need to worry about God's wrath. No, I'm going to hide myself from God's wrath. And for us to hide ourselves from God's wrath means taking refuge in his son. Recognizing that just like everyone else, uh, we are deserving of God's wrath. Uh, verse 21, uh, to punish the people of the earth for their sins. Well, God would rightly punish us if we were not putting our trust in Jesus, if we were not taking refuge in him. So this chapter is uh, a wonderful uh, picture of what it means to wait, uh, that kind of that fundamental uh, Christian uh, attribute of waiting for Uh, uh, the Lord, waiting for Jesus to return. It means trusting in the Lord, having our minds steadfast, fixed on him. It means longing for his glory, being transformed so that we don't uh, live for ourselves alone, but we live for God's glory. Hoping in the resurrection, not putting hope in our own achievements, our own accomplishments, but hoping in God's resurrection power and recognizing that we are sinful and our only hope is to hide ourselves in uh, God's Savior who rescues us from the wrath to come. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this uh, wonderfully rich uh, passage uh, which uh, shows us uh, what it means to wait uh, for uh, you, to wait for your Son. Uh, Please, Father, as we uh, remember this passage this week, Uh, Would you remind us to uh, trust in you alone, uh, to long for your glory, uh, to hope in your resurrection power, and to hide ourselves in Jesus, uh, recognizing that he is the only one who can save us from the wrath to come. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.